We are finishing our series on knowing God's will today. We'll jump into the new series, ID, Knowing Your True Identity, next week. Real excited about that. And, and uh, just to recap the couple of months that we've been into this uh, series on knowing God's will. Remember, we, we discovered that, that God has a wonderful will for your life. Maybe it's not necessarily the specific dot that you have to be on, but God gives us latitude under his will when we're obedient to him. And it's in the main concern that God has for your life is for your holiness. God is, is not necessarily concerned uh, with maybe every little individual choice that we may make in our day, but he's concerned with your holiness, with your character, uh, who you are in him. When we read about God's will in his word, uh, uh, it's usually paralleled with God's concern for you as a person in your holiness, in the way you live your life. And I know there's some of you here today that you feel this way. You say, Pastor Bard, I've, I've made so many bad decisions in my life and I know that I've missed God's will and now I, I just have to live with it. And I remember a pastor said this and I thought it was very good. He said, People who live with a micromanagement view of God's will will have to endure the crushing weight of regrets. And some of you may be here, you're like, how can I overcome those bad decisions when I know that this was not in God's will? And now, am I pastor? Am I just subject to this secondary Christian status where, where I have to live with this the, the rest of my life. Yeah, we have to definitely live with some of the bad choices we've made. We're going to have to remember those, and, and that's not fun. But, but here's the thing I want you to realize. If we feel like we've fallen out of God's perfect will, which, which the only alternative is to be a second-class Christian, it makes a lot of Christians really grumpy and just not happy if that's the way you're living your life. But the good news is this. The good news is we can leave the past with God and begin to seek God today. That's the good news. Here's the problem. Many Christians, this is the way they view the Word of God. When you interpret the Word of God, especially the Old Testament, we think of things like in this realm. Well, there's good people and there's bad people. And we can't do what bad people do, and we've got to do what good people do. And so we feel like if we make bad decisions, then we're part of the bad group. And God, how can I overcome these things? So I'm going to try next week to become a better person. And then you become a better person that week, only from the week after, to make a bad decision to put you back in the group of the bad people. They say, okay, now i got to get back over to the good people. Forgive me, God, for all this thing. L let me just say this. You've got to write grace over everything. Because if you're not living by God's grace, you're just going to be this Christian that's trying to do more good than bad, and you will be miserable in your walk with God. You've got to realize that it's only by God's grace that he uses you. Do you realize it's only by God's grace that he used the people of the Old Testament? As we're going to look in today, we're going to look at the person of David. David was not a good person. We know that he was a man that, that sought after God's own heart. But David did a lot of bad stuff. His rap sheet would make most of you look like you should be dancing in the sound of music you know i mean it was bad 
So let me just relieve you today. God's grace, God still used David and still used his mess. And guess what? God can still use your mess. God can still use his glory, even in the bad decisions that you've made in your life. God can still use it for his purposes and his glory. People, if we don't have that good news, then we've got nothing to live for. And the good news is that Jesus died for you. The good news is Jesus came to make you a brand new person. The good news is that God does forgive. The good news is there's forgiveness in Christ and he makes all things new. Even when we make mistakes in our past, God can still use us. And some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, well, God, how can you use me and how can you use this stuff from my past and the junk from my past, I want you to write grace over all of it. You can't do it without His grace and without His power in your life. So don't live with this micromanagement view of God's will because you will endure the weight of all those regrets if you live that way the good news is we can leave the past with god and seek god today let me just say this god is not limited by your choices he's not he's a he's a pretty big god and he's not limited by the choices that you make god is the god of restoration so when it comes down to making right decisions because really that's what it boils down to if we want to know god's will we're thinking okay god i want to know your will in this situation i want to make the right decision in this situation and i don't mean to say that god can't burden your heart for people that god can't wake you up in the middle of the night and pray for somebody thank god for the prompting of the holy spirit somebody say amen Okay, that we, I believe in, in, in God's voice and speaking to us and prompting us and, and, and burdening our heart for different things. But really, when it comes down to knowing God's will, it's really about making right decisions. So it's not so much about where you live. God's concerned about how you live. And I wanted to finish up this whole series of messages with dealing with this one area, and this is the area of integrity. God's desire for you is to live a life of integrity. If you can live a life of integrity, you will make wise decisions and righteous decisions and godly decisions that will please the Lord. So I believe it boils down to integrity. I want, I want you to look at integrity this way. Let me give you a, a mind picture here. Integrity is like the hull of a ship. You go under the water to make sure that it, it should be what it should be from all outward appearances. And, and you test to make sure that it is what it appears to be. And so integrity is something that, that holds together. When you step back and you look at it from afar, you say, okay, that ship looks like it has integrity. But the way you really test it is by getting up close. And hopefully that thing holds true to what it looks like far away. So integrity is something that is what it's supposed to be. And the closer you get to it, it doesn't change. How many know from a distance we can look at things and say, oh, that thing looks really great. Let me give you a point, point in case. You can hear somebody give an interview and you can say, oh, that person probably is a, is a really nice person from an interview. 
How do we really know? Do we know that person? Are we involved in their personal life? Not really, but we make decisions based on one interview and that they were nice, right? So integrity is when you get closer and closer and closer and then that image, that perception doesn't change. Here's the problem with integrity. Integrity is something that we really disregard today. And we believe, and many times many people get ahead without integrity. See, that's a problem. That can be a problem even within our Christian walk. You see, the pressure to succeed, to get ahead, makes people cut corners and cheat. Whether it's on a resume, whether it's, it's teenagers having, having someone else take their SAT so they can get into the right college, somebody lying on their resume to make themselves look better to get a, a job. How many of you know that the most direct path is not always the most ethical? How many know you live in that world sometimes, in, in the business world and where you work, and you see people doing things to try to get ahead, and you know that, that you're like, eh, is this okay? Well, don't worry about it. Is this really? I mean, we begin to ask questions, and really it's not the most ethical, and we know that the most direct path is not the most ethical. But see, here it is. God's will is that, that you would live with this integrity, that, that what you are far away is what you are when you are examined or up close. It's taking a magnifying glass and seeing something for what it really is. And what I want to do is I just want to do a character study here of David in the Old Testament. Most of you know the story of David and Bathsheba and his sin with her. But what I want to look at is not so much saying, okay, David is wrong. He cheated with another man's wife, killed her husband, married her, had a child. The first one died and then eventually you know, had another child and, and that was born and then he took over the kingdom. Because we all know that story if you've been in Sunday school, if you've heard that story. But I want to look at what were the steps here? Because really, if you look at this story, it's a story about integrity. And there are some things that David definitely did wrong, that he misstepped in his life that opened him up for this. There was something that he wasn't guarding in his heart before the Lord. Even though we say David was a man after God's own heart, do you realize that David is just as fallible as you and I? That David is just like you. So before we hammer on David, we have to realize we all fall into the same boat, that we can make the same mistakes and bad choices. So if we're going to know God's will, we have to have a secure life that is a life full of integrity. So in that time of testing comes and that time of testing that's going to that's going to see for what your life is really like and to show forth what you really believe how much are we going to follow god's will at that point are we going to give into temptation or are we going to stand firm in what we believe about god and in doing god's will even in the most difficult circumstances that may even cost me my job so if you've got your notes or your Bibles, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's look at this story. And I want you to look at a couple things here that hopefully can protect us and make right decisions according to the will of God. And I'm going to look at the story of David and, and Bathsheba. And let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's read it and let's see what, what we can learn here. It says, In the spring, in the time when kings go off to war, 
David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israel army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. But David remained in Jerusalem. You're thinking, what's the big deal? He should have been off to war. David stayed in Jerusalem. Okay, so there's a, there's a crack in, in the hull of David's life. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked out to the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David went and sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab. David's starting to panic here. He sent Uriah the Hittite and Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, blah, blah, blah. David's trying to cover his tracks here, right? How the soldiers were doing. He could care less about how the soldiers were doing. Let me just tell you that. He could care less about how Joab was doing. He cared about himself at this point because he was in big trouble. Then David said, Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Cleanse yourself. I want you to be with your wife. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent with him. Man, he's buttering this guy up. He took him off the front lines. Hey, go with your wife now. He took him out of war. Go spend some time with your wife. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. What was Uriah, what was he on drugs? Is he crazy here? He goes away from war. He's been with all these stinky men. You think he wouldn't want to be with his wife? Why? Uriah had integrity. That was the difference. He knew what his job was. So when David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come home from a distance? Why didn't you go home? See, we are told that David was a man after God's own heart, yet we understand that David failed in many, many ways. One of the reasons why I love the Word of God is for this reason. It doesn't hide the sins of men. See, David was a man who sinned greatly, but we understand through the Word of God in Psalm 51, where it's probably one of the best Psalms, one of the best scriptures that we see of repentance of someone who really, truly repented before the Lord. Well, we understand that David repented and God restored him, and that's the good news. But here's what I want you to see. We're all like David. We have failed and we need restoration. And that is why Christ came to save us from our sins. We couldn't do it ourselves. So here's what we can learn from David. And, and I believe David made some key bad decisions when it came to God's will that led to his failure. So what led to David's failure and, and led to this lack of integrity? There was a, a, a crack in the hull of David's life that when temptation was presented to him, that crack was, became wide open and water gushed in like the Titanic. Where was that crack? And we've got to guard our hearts like nothing else. And we've got to make sure that we're the same people we are in the dark as we are in the light. Somebody say amen, okay? So let's look. What, what did he do? Well, a couple things I want you to see here. 
First of all, I believe that David allowed himself to have have an unguarded moment. Let's talk about these unguarded moments. I want you to notice verse 1. It said, well, the men were off to war. David stayed home. Guess what? David was bored. He was bored. He should have been off with the men as the men went off to war. That was the season where they went and they should have been fighting. But David was bored. How many of you ever gotten in trouble because you were bored and you had too much time on your hands? How many of you remember that one kid that you used to play with when you were growing up that always seemed to get into trouble and seemed to get you into trouble? You remember that one kid because you were bored and you had nothing better to do? And then you're sitting around and you're thinking, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Because you're bored. And then you end up doing this wrong thing and, and getting in trouble. David was bored. The problem with David is he did not redeem his time wisely. I want you to look at your, look at your notes there and look at Ephesians 5, 16 and 70. Paul, speaking of the church in Ephesus, makes a great point here in the Word of God. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I like this translation in the English Standard Version where it says, make the best use of time to know what the will of God is. Not some secret will that you have to discover, but God's known will that you would live holy lives. And what Paul is encouraging his listeners to do is, don't waste time, but redeem your time, because unguarded time is very, very dangerous. That that time where no one else is around, the time when you are by yourself, the time when 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 you know you, you, you allow your mind to kind of travel on its own road. Those are the times that you've got to guard your heart. Here David was bored. He was up getting some fresh air. He saw a temptation on a roof very close to him. And instead of turning away, knowing that was wrong, to walk down, he allowed his mind to travel down a road it shouldn't have traveled down. He did not guard his heart. He did not guard that moment. He did not redeem that very time. Listen, people, listen. You know, the time where you get serious with God is not in a church service where you say, oh, I feel God's presence. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Wasn't it a wonderful time together? Yeah, it is. It's great. But the time is when you're sitting there and something pops up on the TV that you know you need to change the channel. Something pops up on that computer screen and you know you need to look away. And you allow your mind to travel and you're not guarding that moment. Watch out. And that's exactly what happened to David. See, David didn't have a computer screen in front of him. He didn't have the temptation of TV or internet or all all the other temptations that we have today, but the temptation came from a roof right next door to him. And he allowed his heart to wander. He did not take heart. He did not redeem that moment. Here's how you, how do, how do you do this? Pat, we'll say, well, Pastor, how do, I, how do I guard my heart? How do I, how do I, how do I redeem the most out of, 
out of my time. This is what I've tried to do in my life. Let me just tell you what I do. When I run, I try to listen to other pastors or I listen to the Bible when I run. Think about when you're in a doctor's office. For most of you, they got smartphones. You get the version Bible app. You can read the Bible right there where you're waiting or bring your Bible with you. Do the old-fashioned way and actually get a Bible like this. Young teenagers, this is a Bible. It used to have pages in it, okay? Um, if you've got a smartphone, you can have it on here. And you, I don't care on your tablet. I don't care. Um, just read your Bible. Make the most of those opportunities. Guard your heart in those opportunities. Make the most of those opportunities. See, Paul was right here. The days are evil. All kind of distractions, dis- uh, temptations. If we are not careful, we can give in to sin. David failed to redeem his time, and it opened him up to failure. Now, this doesn't mean that you devote all your time to work. We need to make the most of our time. If that means praying with your children, uh, having that date night with your, with, your, with your spouse, and let me just say this, the best gift that you can ever give your children is a good marriage. So when you're up late at night, guard your time. Be careful. Just guard it all. And David left an unguarded moment. That was a crack in his integrity. What was the second thing? And this is the thing that I really feel for most of us that we, we have a lack of integrity in and that we can give into if we're not careful. The problem with David is the second thing here is I believe David felt that he was entitled to this relationship. He was entitled. Even when he knew that it was untouchable relationship, he felt entitled. David knew that Bathsheba was a married woman, yet he still had someone get her. Because David was the king, maybe he felt entitled that he didn't have to answer to anyone. Listen, here's why I believe entitlement is a dangerous thing. Entitlement is a dangerous thing for this reason. For this reason, we falsely believe that we deserve something because of who we are or what we have done. I remember we were traveling back from Florida one year, and we were traveling out of Tampa, and um, there was this huge dude, I mean huge, like 290 pounds, 6 foot 5, and I'm like, this guy is a football player. It's got to be. He was huge. And sure enough, people were like, oh, that's the... You know, that's the player from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know. And so he comes in, and, and he's all distracted, and he's got all his stuff. And, you know, you can tell he didn't want to talk to anybody because he was starting to get recognized. He's in line. Well, he tried to cut in line. And this woman, this TSA woman, about four foot three, 70 pounds wet, goes, excuse me, sir, where do you think you're going? And he goes, well, I've, I've, got, I've got to make this flight, and I've got to go, and Blah, blah, blah. Now, he didn't pull out the, he didn't pull out the Tampa Bay card just yet because he was surprised that she didn't recognize him. How dare she not recognize me? So he didn't pull out the Tampa Bay card just yet. So I'm watching this all go down, going, what's going to happen here? This is good. I, I, like waiting in, I like waiting in these lines now. This is fun. So he comes, she goes, no, sir, you've got to go in this. Well, I've I got to make this flight, blah, blah, blah. She goes, no, sir, you need to go over here and get in the back of the line. Now, pulls out the Tampa Bay. Ma'am, I'm part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, I don't care what team you're part of. Then she started getting it. I don't care what team you're part of. You get in the back of the line with everybody. And he was so mad. And he's just, 
getting his stuff and he's and then it was funny because he was not too far then he's going through stuff and he didn't take off his shoe whatever he was doing and he had to wait and it was just loved it this little woman took you down i loved it it was great but the problem is entitlement i believe i deserve this because i'm entitled to it yikes i'll tell you what the attitudes of people when you go to a different country is amazing when you go to central america and you talk to people they work they don't feel like they're entitled to anything because the government's not there for them chew on that one for a while okay just just chew on it okay they don't feel entitled. They work for everything they got. They don't feel entitled to anything. There's no handouts in Guatemala. They're, they're working hard for everything they have. That's why you see that 85-year-old woman in some of those pictures making cocoa with the cocoa beans to make chocolate at 85 years old. She's working. She's hauling the cows around. She's working. She's working it. Not entitled to anything. She's got to work or they don't, or they don't eat. You see, we can say things like, well, I've worked for this company for years, so I deserve this. I've been a member of this church for so many years, and I've given such a great deal both financially and to myself to this church, so I deserve this. The moment, listen, the moment we begin to justify our actions, compromise is next. Listen, we, we've got to get off this entitlement thing that we, listen, you were bought with a price. God owes you nothing. Okay, you were bought with a price. Jesus Christ laid his life down for you and I. Jesus willingly became a servant. Read Philippians chapter 2 and look at how Paul says our attitude needs to be the same of Jesus Christ, that he considered himself nothing and took on the role of a servant and literally laid his life down for you and I. If you would think anyone should be entitled, it would have been Jesus, but he came to serve and not be served. He came as a ransom for you and I. And then Paul says our attitude should be the same same as that of Jesus Christ. So let's be careful with this entitlement that we might feel that we need because we've done a certain thing or we are or we have this status. Now, I don't know what David went through. I don't know what was going through David's mind to, to, to justify his actions, but I guarantee it wasn't one of these things that we're going to talk about. I believe David had an unguarded moment. I believe David felt like because he was the king, he deserved this. But let me give you a couple things here. I don't, I don't believe in my heart that, that David ever thought about these things when he made this decision because he knew it was wrong. There's no way that David could justify this without knowing that he was walking out of God's will when he made this choice to be with another man's wife. So, so how can we make our walk and how can we make our life of integrity and how can we make these right decisions that God is pleased with? So when I have to make a decision, we want the mind of God and we need to ask ourselves these series of questions. So really, listen, when it boils down to God's will, the majority of the time it boils down, Lord, I just want to make the right decision in this matter and I want to please you in this decision. That's a good motivation saying, God, I just, I want to know your heart here. I want to make
the right decision here so I don't have to pay the consequences of a bad decision that was not based in holiness and what God truly desires. So we need to ask ourselves these series of questions when we have to make a decision. Okay, so let's ask ourselves these questions. First of all, I think if David would have asked himself this question, how would this decision affect others? He would have never done it. So will this decision hurt someone else? Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Would I like this thing done to me? Remember that your first inclination will be to take care of yourself because we consistently want to feed our flesh. So there's this constant fighting against our flesh. You see, at the base of right decision-making that God cares about is love, not self-love, but godly love. It says, it's you before me. So take a hard look at yourself and ask, is this really for me or is it for God? See, here's the mistake that we can make. We fool ourselves in believing that this is for God, then it must be right. Now listen to me carefully, because this is where we can be misled. We can fool ourselves by saying, well, this is ministry. And meanwhile, we ignore our families. While doing things for God, we actually neglect our family. We help others, but, but we're not helping our own children. We can be busy doing things for God or around the church, doing, 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 and never sitting under the teaching of God's Word. Hello. Listen, let's be careful here, people. That many times we enjoy ministry around the church and doing, doing, doing things around. But then we have to ask, am I actually sitting under the teaching of God's Word? Listen to me. I'm the one that's usually doing the teaching. So you're saying, well, pastor, where do you get your teaching from? Well, I sit in Sunday school class. I enjoy that. We've got great teachers. We've got great Sunday school class. I enjoy doing that. But listen, for me, I've got to be fed too. I'm not above that. So I've got to be fed because I get sick of hearing my own preaching because I've got to listen to it every week. I feel sorry for you guys sometimes. I'm like, Lord, I leave the service. I'm like, God, thank you for people coming every week. Oh my gosh, Lord, help them. Thank you for your grace. But I love listening to other pastors. I, I, that's what I love about the podcasts. And I'll listen to other pastors and Ravi Zacharias and other, uh, other ministers, Andy Stanley and other great great ministers and and i'll get the podcast and i'll listen to when i run or when i get it when i get a chance to or in the car because i need to be ministered to myself i need to be refreshed i need to be reading the word of god myself not just studying the word of god but reading the word of god myself so that i'm refreshed and so we need to sit under that teaching of god's word because i think sometimes what happens is we get so immersed in maybe doing churchy things church which is not bad we should all be allowing god to use our gifts in the church to do it but there's got to be a balance because what happens we begin doing ministry 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 and then then god's not speaking to my heart anymore because i'm not sitting under the authority and the teaching of god's word and i'm not submitting myself to that and we're thinking, well, well, God, that's okay because, right? Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff for you, right? And, and, and there was a, a bad, 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 bad philosophy amongst many pastors years ago. And they would say something like this. As long as I'm taking care of the church, God will take care of my children. 
That is so messed up. And that's why you get the proverbial bad pastors, kids, for that very reason. The pastor is so busy taking care of the flock that he's not taking care of his own family. And that's why I tell you to pray for me because i got to find that balance. Where I'm like, Lord, am I taking care of my family? Am I taking care of their spiritual needs? Am I, am I the pastor? Listen, I pastor my family before I pastor you, just to let you know, not to hurt your feelings, okay? But I've got to pastor my family first. You, you, you've got to pastor your family first before you do anything else in the church. And that's where the church can get so discombobulated is that we're running around doing all these things, but we're not taking care of ourselves. And then when something happens in our lives and our lives become topsy-turvy and, and something comes and a situation comes in our life that just knocks us for a loop and we wonder, why did that thing take me right off my feet? It's Because we weren't firmly grounded in what God really cared about. And God cares more about your personal life and your personal integrity than any accolades that anyone could receive from ministry. I can remember this one pastor I heard speaking at this conference, and he just said this one thing, and I, I just, I loved it. He, he was a very well-known speaker, and he, he was speaking to thousands of people, like 40 times a year, thousands of people. And he was starting to get a big head because like, man, all these people are coming to hear me and I'm getting letters and emails and man, this is great. And he had a young family at home, so he was home quite a, quite a bit. And uh, so one time he came home and, and he got home and he couldn't wait to come home and tell his wife, man, all these people got saved and this was just the most amazing conference and honey, I, could, I couldn't wait to get home. And he wanted his wife just to fall all over and say, honey, you are so wonderful. You're just such a great man of God. He was so ready for that. He came home, and his wife was sitting there. You could tell she was tired. She had kids in diapers, and he came home, and the first word I've run, she was holding the baby with dirty diapers out to him and saying, change your son's diapers. Wait a minute. Changing diapers for the glory of God? Pfft, come on. I just, all these people just got saved. Are you kidding me? And he said, I learned a valuable lesson right there that I was missing it at home. My wife needed my support and help. And he goes, it was a huge wake-up call for me. So even doing something good can actually be bad if we're not careful. People, it boils down to integrity. It boils down to those small little areas of your life that you can you can compromise that god really cares about that's what he cares about when you're sitting at a restaurant and they don't make the bill out right and and it, it's to your because if it's not to your favor you will let them know won't you what? did you did you just charge me an extra dollar for this meal because i'm looking at the menu and it's saying 6.95 and i think you charged me 7.95 so you best be taking a dollar off right now or there's going to be trouble, okay? Can you get the manager right now? Where's the manager? Can, but boy, if we get undercharged, six ninety five, and you get charged five ninety five, oh, what a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. You just blessed me today, Jesus. Thank you. And you paid. Come on, all right? Integrity. So let's be careful that, that necessarily good things can necessarily, not be a, a, can necessarily be a bad thing. Even though you might be doing a good thing, you could be doing the wrong thing. Are my decisions 
spiritually healthy for those around me? And then the second question you ask yourself, and we're finished with this, is not how does it affect others around me? Because let me just tell you, your choices do affect people around you because your kids are watching, other people are watching, your employees are watching. It does make a difference because people are watching you closely and how you make choices for Christ. Second thing is, how does this choice affect me? Is this going to hurt my walk with God? See, and this is exactly what we try to teach our children, isn't it? We try to teach our children is, it, it, what are the consequences to the choice that we're going to make here? Will there be consequences? Listen, we, we can lie to ourselves and we can lie to other people to try to convince ourselves that this is the right way. But really, really ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because I want you to notice the reaction of Uriah when David tries to use him to cover up his sin. Because if he could just, there's no DNA checking back then. If he could just get him to lie with his wife, then, then David is scot-free. But this man who's a Hittite, not an Israelite, who's a Hittite, stands up and says, I cannot do this when the men are fighting a battle and my Lord... Joab, my leader, is fighting with it. How can I enjoy this time with my wife when I know that, that the men I'm fighting with are dying and I'm here enjoying this? I cannot do this. Uriah showed integrity. He had every right to go to his wife. The king even gave him permission. But he would not while his comrades were fighting. That's integrity. He felt convicted because he had a job to do at this time. I want you to notice that Uriah thought of others and what it would do to him if he made this choice. You see, you may think, well, what's the big deal? Uriah had the green light from the king himself. Why didn't he make this decision? It's his wife. He has the privilege. He's entitled to it. Uriah gave up his right to do this because of integrity. Because he knew something greater had to be done. This wasn't his time. He wasn't to enjoy this right now. And you think, well, what's the big deal? It was a big deal. It was a big deal to Uriah because he knew he should be by his men fighting at this time. You may think, what's the big deal with the dollar? What's the big deal with a penny? What's the big deal with a, with a quarter? Because you know what? It starts with a quarter. It starts with a penny. It starts with a dollar. When I start making decisions like that and justifying them, then I can make bigger and bigger and bigger decisions and not making the right choice before God. So ultimately, you have to ask yourself, God, okay, God, I'm justifying this. I'm starting to lie to myself. Really, what's the deal here, God? It's only a dollar. This company makes billions of dollars. No one's going to miss it. Who cares? God cares. God cares. He cares about every choice you make for him. With the best of your ability, go to the Lord and say, God, I want to make the right choice here. In fact, if I even have to go overboard to make the right choice, to make sure it's right, then I will because I want to make sure that my conscience is clear before you in making these decisions. Listen, 
We can talk all day about where God's will, does he want me to live here? Does he want me to take this job? Blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying those things are important, but you know what? We care more about those things than the little small decisions we make each and every day, and God is way more concerned about that. Because if you can get that down in your life, you'll be doing God's will. You'll be listening to him. You care about the decisions you make. You care about how it's going to affect other people. You care about... Uh, your walk with the Lord and how this may hurt your walk with the Lord. I guarantee if David really sought God out in this decision, and if David really was a God, that, that a man that was actually after God's own heart and he did not allow these unguarded moments in his life, he would have never made that bad decision. But listen, God still used that whole situation for his glory. Right? Didn't he? I, that's where we write grace over the whole thing, right? God still used him for his grace. God didn't give up on David. Yeah, David had to live with these consequences and his family life was, was a wreck. But you know what? God still used it. And out of that, out of that whole thing, we know that the Messiah would eventually come. Somebody say amen. We know that God can still use these things. God is sovereign. So even in your life, here's, here's the freedom as we finish this whole series. Here's what I want you to realize. Some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, Pastor, how in the world can God use my messed up past? He can. And I want you to realize that God just doesn't tweak your life God just doesn't try to improve your life. What God actually does is give you a brand new life. That through the confession of our sins, he cleanses that with his wonderful blood. So even with your bad decisions that you've made in the past, that doesn't have to, that doesn't have to weigh you down to have guilt and condemnation saying, God, you can't use me in the future. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. I just... I just I just want to tell you about just something that happened this week that was just an uh, just answer to prayer. How God can even use the most difficult, horrible circumstances for his glory to, to grip the heart of his people to just love on people. This, this is what I love about God. He's so good. Some of you heard about the story of a terrible stabbing right here in Ontario on Ridge Road last week. Horrible, horrible circumstance. They shut the schools down. The police got involved right, right on Ridge Road. It was really, really tense there for a while. They did ca- capture the gentleman. And, and uh, for some reason, I heard about this. You know, you live in Ontario, and there was somebody that was interviewed and said, yeah, this normally doesn't happen in our community. And it normally do- it doesn't. It's a smaller community. You've got 10,000 people that live in Ontario. The average age is 36.5 with 2.5 kids. That's a demographic of our, of our, of our area. And then normally, you know, you think, well, that normally doesn't happen. And all of a sudden, God just, I'm driving down the road. I heard about it. I'm driving right around where it happened. And this poor girl came out of the house. There's an off-duty police officer that got her, basically saved her. She got to the hospital, and she's doing better now. And um, I'm driving down the road, and it just, it just gripped my heart so much. I'm like, God... You, you, you care about that individual. So many times we think, well, we, there's not big things, but we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. We have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. We just, we don't know what people are struggling, what people are going through. 
I came to prayer on Tuesday night, and I said, guys, let's really pray for this girl. I just have a burden just to pray for her and somehow reach out to her and, and just show her the, 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 the love of Christ and just minister, young, young, young woman. And so um, I went to a, a meeting Thursday in Syracuse with some missionaries and some other pastors talking about world missions. And they went around the room, and, and uh, the gentleman that was leading the prayer said, anything you guys need prayer about? And I, that just popped up. I said, you know what? I want to pray for this girl. I don't know how we could reach out to her. The name wasn't released. I just somehow, somehow, some way where God could just reveal who this girl was so we can reach out to her and pray for her. I'm not kidding you. Two hours later, I'm in the car, driving back from Syracuse. I get a call from Catherine, our wonderful secretary, and she goes, Pastor, we found out who the girl is. I'm like, no way. She goes, her mom attends our church. <laughs> Listen, as, I just as bad as that situation is, I was like, God, thank you that you cared so much for her. Here's a horrible circumstance that happened in somebody's life for whatever reason, and I'm not here to judge it, but what I'm here to say is that God loves her and can take all the broken pieces and make it new again. You may think, well, how is that God's will? How is that? I don't know, but all I know is that God has plunked our church right here in the middle of Ontario to be a light for him, to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounds, to place the oil and wine on their cuts and their bruises and just tell them that Christ loves them and he's got a brand new life for them. And so we had a couple from our church visit her. We're going to try to get her plugged in. We've got the college and career kids trying to reach out to her. And it's just, just pray for that situation that God just continues to work. But here's the thing. That's just one person. Just in Ontario, not Williamson, all those. We've got 10,000 people right here. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface. And I'm like, God, forgive me for not, for not having my heart more burdened for people in our community. We can go 3,000 miles to Panama, but yet not walk 30 feet across the driveway to our neighbors. You hear what I'm saying? God's will for you is to have his heart. Let him so grip your heart. I'm not saying that God, I, I know some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, you, you know, God does care where I live. I'm not saying that, because I know some of you are probably like, does he not care where I live? I'm not He's placed you where you live for a reason, to be a lighthouse wherever you are. So wherever you're plunked, wherever God plunks you, I don't even know if that's a word, but wherever he's plunked you, just reach out. And God has plunked our church right here for a reason for those people. So let's, let's just let, let God grip your heart and be obedient to him and listen to his voice, cause you to walk that holy life that he desires for you to walk today. So I want to pray today. And I want to pray for you today. And, and some of you are here today and you're just, Pastor, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm hurting because of my past. And, and, and maybe some of you are, are walking with that, 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 that guilt from your past and maybe bad decisions that, that have been made or, or even maybe things that have happened to you. They say one out of three women have been abused somehow, some way. So you know, 
all the people sitting in here, I, I mean, you, there's some of you, I'm, I'm not lying to you, that have been abused, that you've had some things happen to you, and you're living with those regrets of the past. And you're like, how, how can God use me? And I'm here to say, he gives you a brand new life. You come to him and allow him to use all your bruises and brokenness and past and give him the glory for it. And he will use you and he will heal you of that stuff and, and, and just give you a joy like you've never had before. He can use messed up situations for his glory. We've got to believe that because if he can still use David, come on, can he use us? Yeah, he can. Grace Grace, grace. So I want you to bow your heads today. And some of you here, you just need God's grace. You, you just need a little dose of God's wonderful grace because you've been trying to do it yourself. So God, I just pray for every soul here today that we would just find you and know you and that you would bring your healing to hearts today. Lord, we pray for that young woman today that your grace would completely saturate her, God. That, Lord, you would do a great work in her heart, God. I thank you, Lord, for restoration. I thank you, Lord, that, God, you're, you're so good. And that, God, you can restore. God, I pray for that man that needs to come to you too, Lord. God, this is our community. These are people you died for. And so, God, we just need your help. Lord, your will is that we would live like you. Your will is that we would be holy. Your will is that we would reach out to other people. God, how are we doing in those areas? So burden our hearts, God, for these things. God, let us be a pleasing sacrifice unto you. I thank you for every heart here today. I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst each and every week, God, and we just give you the glory, Lord. So we need you, we love you, we praise you, we just lay our lives at your feet. In Jesus' wonderful name, Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen. I want us to sing this song together in closing today. Just let God just touch your heart today and just give you a burden. I want you to stand. Listen, the altars are open. If you want to come up and just pray, maybe there's somebody that God has burdened your heart with and you want to pray for them, the altars will be open. You can come and pray and just seek the Lord and just let God touch your heart today. So let's just seek his face as we close today. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Here at your feet I'll always be With the angels Crying holy, there's not one thing that means as much to me as you, my God, as you, my King. Here in this darkness, I lift my eyes to you, your light comes shining.
today. God, I just pray for every person here today that even in the most minute, smallest choices that we have to make, that we would make them with you in mind. That God, we would say, Lord, we want to please you in every area of our living, every choice we make. God, we want to do our best to please you. And we thank you, thank you, thank you that even with the past regrets and wrong choices, you still use us. Thank you for your grace. And God, may, may your grace just be written over every heart in this place today, God. That, Lord, without your grace, Lord, where would we be? Without your grace, we couldn't be saved. And so, Lord, we thank you. It's not in our strength or our, our ability. It's only by your grace that we can even be saved today. So, Lord, you just work your plan and your will in every heart here today as we seek your face. And I thank you for this church, God. I pray a blessing over every life and every individual here today, over every marriage, God, that, Lord, you would just bring us together, bind us together, Lord, I pray, as a, as a body of believers so we can, we can be used, uh, Lord, in this community, God, to reach others with the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today to do that. So use us in every area of our living, we pray. And I thank you for this day. And we give you the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. Amen, 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 amen. Let's give the Lord just praise. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you. If anyone needs prayer, you, you can come on down. We'll love to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Amen.